This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Brian Murray. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm a little sad, but kind of excited. This is the last full episode of the year because of the holidays that are coming up and just weird traveling. I'm going to Michigan for a week and a handful of other things. We have mini-sodes coming up for the next two weeks. So this is the last full episode of the year. Uh... But let's move on. Let's just talk about things. Let's let me ask the question I ask every week, and it's how have you been, and how have comic books been? Nick White. Hey, uh, yeah, things have been all right. Been busy. It's that time of the year where it's like, oh, that's right, social obligations comply me that I have to buy things for other people that maybe they don't want, and maybe in <laughs> return, if I'm lucky, they'll buy things for me that I'm lukewarm about. Uh, anyway, sure. that's, that stuff takes up a lot of time. And then in between that, you have to like put up trees and, uh, build nativity scenes and just generally be tolerant of other people's, um, beloved, uh, winter rituals, um, which Fruit I, cakes. which, so which you, I'll you put got up a, with. You got a big box of coal when you were a kid, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's where this is all coming uh, from. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things where my parents never really transitioned me into the whole, like, Santa's not real thing. It was more of a, like, <laughs> let's not believe in Santa anymore. Let's believe in the essence of Christmas. And I'm, like, six, and we're trying to talk about, like, some metaphysical essence of a of a holiday and uh <laughs> oh i was i was worried that it was something more like they never told me that santa wasn't yeah, real yeah and i was then gonna say all through my my teenage years i was kind of looking at my friends like santa's a thing right and, and yeah. all, <laughs> what do you mean teenage years look at you very weirdly look you're, you're you're talking about this like santa's not real which i don't really <laughs> fucking sick joke He's going to show up. He's going to give you coal. Uh, yeah, Santa in New York is uh, pretty hardcore. I mean, they do this whole rally every year. That was a couple, I think a week or two ago, where just uh, thousands of Santas parade the streets of New York and with whips and, and guns, I think. I don't, I don't know. I just hear about it. I, well, I it's, believe, it's New York. I believe so that holiday was actually... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that holiday was perfectly represented in... What was that? What was the Anthony Mackie, Seth Rogen, JGL movie? The Night Before, I think. Um, oh, I did not see that. Okay, then let's plug that. That movie is great and super underrated. <laughs> and if you're looking for a really funny Christmas movie, uh, watch that. Here's why: uh, Michael Shannon is in it. Um, as and like he's the, great, and he he's fantastic. Honestly, uh, Mike Michael Shannon. Uh, we'll plug him. He clearly needs my help. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to make it make his way up through the to the Hollywood A list. Um. Nick, let's talk about comic books. It's a comic book podcast. Yeah, yeah, Good point. Yeah. Good point. That's a great idea. So here are some things I read this week. Uh, I read Snapshot, the trade paperback. This was an old random trade just sitting around I never got around to. It's a collaboration between uh, Andy Diggle and Jock, uh, the team that brought you Green Arrow Year One, as well as Vertigo's The Losers. Um, interesting book, especially because there's actually no color work in it. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's kind of... It's really hard to describe other than it's a thriller about a kid who finds a cell phone that isn't his and he probably wishes he never picked up in the first place. And that's probably the easiest way to try to frame that at all. That I really was, enjoyed that it. That book 
was my first introduction to Jock, or at least recognizing Jock as an artist. Oh, wow. So it was, it was very weird to see that and then have you and other people tell me, Mike, you need to go read all these things. Jock did the art. And I was like, I don't know. His stuff was just okay. So maybe that's what yeah. like, kind of put me in a weird space with that with that creator. But Well, like sort of the angular nature of the way he draws and the sort of like lines that he tends to use for forming faces and things like that. Obviously, without the color work, it's like it's 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 there. You know, it's like very clearly in your face and either. Right. You know, we've talked about this before. Either you love Jock or you suck. And that's um, that's just how it goes. Uh, what else did I read? I read Savage number one. Finally got around to it. Uh, really enjoyed this book. Uh, it was written by B. Clay Moore. I don't have a lot of experience with him. I believe he wrote a series for Image called Hawaiian Dick. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. more familiar with um, a much more obscure thing he did for DC three or four years ago called the JSA Liberty Files colon The Whistling Skull with Tony Harris on art. And if you know Tony Harris, he what? might be a questionable human being, but his artwork is unbelievable. That that sounds like some 70s level campy weirdness, but obviously it wasn't. Yeah, it's like a 1940s, 1950s kind of like fighting the Nazis <laughs> sort of thing. Of course. Anyway, uh, in terms of Savage... I've really enjoyed uh, the first issue. It's going to be a mini-series. It's sort of two plot lines. One plot line, which is drawn by Clayton Henry, who drew Ivar Timewalker, uh, follows the family. Uh, The dad is an elite European-level soccer player. The mom is a supermodel, and uh, they have a son. So it seems a little bit eerie of David Beckham, especially because he's thinking about switching and playing in the U.S. um, to make more money. And they're on a plane, and the plane crashes, and they end up on this island that seems to be populated by dinosaurs, um, and that's drawn by Clayton Henry, and then the book cuts forward to what appears to be the kid, who's grown up a bit, but he also seems to be alone, and of course he's seemingly living on his own, surviving, fighting dinosaurs with the use of a raptor claw that he's fashioned into a knife of sorts, and we're sort of left with this grand mystery of, like, how much time has passed? Has anyone gotten off the island? What happened to his parents? Are they around? Are they not? How does this island exist in the first place? Um, a lot of Who really good questions. This, book? this is Valiant. This is Valiant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And of course, that leads to the inevitable question of how, when, and where is the Valiant universe going to try to rope this into everything else? Sure. Um, if you're thinking, gee, this seems kind of weird. From what I've understood, this is really Valiant attempting to basically get away with doing Turok Dinosaur Hunter, which they used to own before the gold key properties were taken from them when a claim went out of business, um, which also included Magnus Robot Fighter, which went to Dynamite, and Solar Man of the Atom, which also ended up with Dynamite. Uh, And they just really wanted to do Turok, and so I think they found a bit of a legal loophole to do that. And it's it's beautiful, and the multi-artist approach is fascinating, and because it's a miniseries, that at least means to me that I think that this approach will actually be sustainable, and it won't be one of those things where on book three or something, it's two different artists or anything like that, which I really appreciate. Uh, Beyond that, the other big thing I want to talk about is I uh, read Batman 9 and 10. I am now finally uh, only two issues behind uh, where the book currently stands. This, of course, is Tom King writing. And Michael or Mikkel or whatever, Janine, I'm sure I just butchered both both parts of his name. If you want to get back to me with how to pronounce your name, uh, we'll, we'll do that justice. 
this book is, is great. I absolutely love this. I love that we're getting to see Bane again. Uh, I love the idea that Bane is apparently a rehabilitated junkie who no longer needs Venom. And apparently he's using Psycho Pirate as sort of a... Um, basically, he's using Psycho Pirate to tell him or convince him that he doesn't need to use Venom anymore. So it's it's sort of interesting. I know what? that a lot of people are sort of on the fence about what they've gone and done with Catwoman, which I feel like it's it's been long enough that we can discuss this. It's been a month. Uh, they basically said that she like killed 257 terrorists who blew up the orphanage that she um lived in when she was a kid and everyone's like catwoman would never do this but i actually like that catwoman has somewhat of a real um vigilant a true like it's sort of the other side of the vigilante coin really she's yeah, really yeah. occupying that true morally gray space and it's no longer like tee hee hee watch me break into one safe and steal a gigantic ruby and then make purring noises and escape and <laughs> like i'm supposed to be a criminal and yet like how are you going to take me seriously so i'm okay with this i'm okay yeah, with this. I mean, catwoman's a villain like yeah you know, she's she's mostly a sidekick right. these days but once upon a time she was a villain and I mean, it puts her in a real morally you know, complicated position of, yeah, like you technically are a mass murderer who is on death row. Of course, um, she's in Arkham and uh, I, I think, which doesn't really make sense. How do you end up in death row in a sanitarium? Maybe I'll have to hey. go back and read that. I'm not certain. Yeah. Anyway, um, and Batman's basically recruiting people. It's it's freaking hilarious because he's like, I want that inmate and I want that inmate. And the guy running the place is like, look, we only said you can take two people out, okay? Like, you don't have that much leverage of how many crazy people <laughs> we're going to let you take on a... We're going to let you chaperone, okay? There's a, right. there's a limit to how many of these people you can take. Picturing Batman like a spoiled kid in the supermarket yeah. checkout. Hey, like, everyone, put... No, I said you could have one candy bar. Look, like, I said everyone needs to stand in line <laughs> next to the bus, and you have to have your your name tags clear and visible to your chaperone, okay? No getting out of line. This is the bat. This is the magic school bus starring Batman. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, really interesting. And for anyone who didn't catch it, go back, reread 10, because there's actually one of the people in Arkham draws a symbol on the window of her cell. And I was like, I've fucking seen this before. And I thought about it for a minute or two. And then I was like, that's the Legion of Superheroes symbol. And she draws it on her cell. And I was like, what is going on, Tom King? What is this about? And then I did a little Googling, and apparently this all ropes back into that big Rebirth number one issue. I don't know if you guys remember, but when that issue came out, Jeff Johns oh, yeah. said the, rever the reverberations of this issue are going to slowly be felt through all of the different books. And it's not going to be an event. It's not going to be a miniseries. You're just going to slowly see it unfold in terms of everything. So you're going to have to buy all of our books in order to really get the full <laughs> impact. Just go to DC.com and check all the boxes and we'll send them the all event, your way. The event is all of their books is what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah, there's no way out. Just look. If you buy everything, you'll be fine. You'll miss nothing. And if you Jeez. don't buy everything, you're going to actually miss out on the most important part. It might be. You won't know. <laughs> You'll never know. That's perfect. That's that's perfect for today's discussion. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what did you read this week? Well, I finally went back and took a big chunk out of my out of my backlog that I've been amassing for the last two months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read uh, Power Man and Iron Fist nine and ten. I love the covers for that book. Oh, love the, covers the covers are so good. This is another great example of uh, how 
Marvel has turned Carol Danvers into this like jackbooted super thug who just like comes into every book in the Marvel property and fucks it all up for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think number ten at the end of number nine, uh, she shows up to accuse Luke Cage of breaking Iron Fist out of prison. And then, in the process of trying to arrest him, like throws him straight through the prison walls, and then all the prisoners escape. And she's like, <laughs> "This is your fault." And he's like, "I was just like having a sandwich. Like, I've been re- I was reading her solo book for a long time, mm-hmm. and it, it makes all of the stuff she's been doing in other Marvel properties feel really out of character." I've heard that like that there's been this weird character assassination with Carol Danvers in the last year. Same. With everything that's happened Same. with Civil War Two, it's it seems like they've taken her character and gone in a completely weird direction with her, and no one seems to understand why, except for like Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm I'm kind of hearing that from you is what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I I don't mind a character like her being used as like the 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 opposing side to Tony Stark. I think that that's a really good foil between those two characters. But she's taken it to such extremes that it seems kind of crazy to me. Like uh, in in A Force, which I also read this week, A Force number ten, she's been trying to arrest Nico Minoru for killing somebody she hasn't killed yet. Who's who's that? Who's this person? Uh, Nico is somebody from the Runaways. She's one of the stars of A Force, or was when A Force was a thing. That got canceled after number ten. Yeah, she's a really cool character. Yeah, she's got a magic staff that lets her cast any spell and do anything, but she can only use a certain spell one time. So she has what? to come up with like like different words to like mean the same sort of thing to cast that as her spell. This sounds yeah, like shitty Zatanna. It's it's very fun. It's I think that that character there's a lot of like fun room to play with her. Yeah. Sorry, I just like Zatanna because it means I have to read my comics backwards, and I love that. Just kidding, <laughs> not really. <laughs> oh, good. Why can't I read this? Am I having a stroke? Oh, wait, it's Zatanna. Never mind. Right. <laughs> I mean, Carol Danvers basically comes at her like, "You're gonna do this thing, so I gotta lock you up." And Nico's like, "But I haven't done that yet. I'm not gonna kill this lady." And then Carol Danvers is like, nope, you're going to do it. Got to lock you up. And so for like oh my. three, the last like two or three issues, they're basically Nico is hiding from Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel is trying to hunt her down. That comes out of nowhere and doesn't seem right. Right. So I, I got off my Marvel kick and went on to Paper Girls. I finally read issues nine and ten of that. Yeah. Yeah. Still super weird. Still super good. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to say about it. At this point, like, <laughs> at this I, I'm point, right there with you. You're you're reading this book or you're not. I mean, I mm. think you should. Mm. And they had a uh, giant flying reptiles in these. A girl killed a water bear, a giant mutant water bear with a hockey right. stick. <laughs> right. Um, what the hell is a water bear? Uh, well, they're these little like microscopic creatures called tardigrades, but their colloquial name is water bears. Mm-hmm. They're extremophiles, so their whole thing is living in environments where nothing should be able to live, like like uh, hot pools at Yellowstone. Or oh, you mean like the creatures that live on the vents at the bottom of the ocean and shit? Yeah, these things can survive like ten days in the vacuum of space. 
<laughs> yeah. And there are there are giant ones in Paper Girls. Yeah. You got to read the story to really understand what's going on with that, though. You really I do. feel like that book is one of those books that, honestly, you can't ever elaborate too much on, like, where you are or what you're reading in that book because it's, like, there's a twist every you know five pages where it's like well they they aren't really aliens or they are really aliens or it's the future or it's actually the past or it's neither and it's like okay that's totally fair yeah and i, I yes. could definitely see why that might set off bullshit alarms for a lot of people yeah but i think that most people who have been reading it since the beginning are just kind of on board at this point yeah too true my big thing i dug into was giant days I finally read issues 18 to 20 of that, as well as the uh, the holiday special. And that book is just the best. It's it's my favorite comic book that's coming out right now. This like this goofy boombox like slice of life girls making it in college series is one of the best things being written right now. It cracks me up almost every single issue. I'll be like alone in my apartment and you know how you don't really laugh when you're by yourself you just kind of like blow air out through your nose sure speak for yourself yeah <laughs> some of us have full conversations by ourselves <laughs> some of us have been told not to do that anymore anyway uh, go ahead brian yeah uh, and but... if my social worker is listening uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. it's just crazy for me to be reading a comic and just start like cackling to myself and like looking around for somebody to show the panel I'm laughing at to. Right. Even I'm now no imagining Brian with like the smile on his face that slowly turns into desperation as his head pans both ways and realizes <laughs> there's like no one in the room. Yeah. It's like, just like how quickly it cat, turns to tears. The cat licking his butthole on the coffee table. <laughs> and, like That's it. That's all. Look, I, I know. Look, I, I know you're busy, but look at this. Look at this. <laughs> I hate to intrude on your busy schedule, sir, well, but... <laughs> you only do two or three things. You can do that thing later. <laughs> uh, but that was my uh, that was my afternoon today, was catching up on all that stuff. What about you, Mike? Oh, I, uh, I've i been stupid busy this past week, and I haven't had a chance to read too much. But last night I did, um, I did have an adventure through New York, and then when I got home I decided I was going to read comics my adventure being i went all the way to the bronx which is spooky north and uh got some that's a joke like, that's se- only gonna play well to your new york friends it's it's only it's only a joke to me i don't know the bronx isn't spooky i just went into little italy and bought 70 dollars worth of salami you know <laughs> like you do um well your life is different than mine <laughs> yeah yes. um so I, after that, I came home and I read some comics. Uh, I had read Hawkeye number one. Finally, I sat down and actually read that. That's Kelly Thompson and Leonardo Romero. Their new book, all about Kate Bishop in L.A. as a P.I. Uh, I wasn't digging the beginning of it, but by the end of the issue, I was like super duper hooked. So if you're not reading this book, if you want more Hawkeye, this is this is the best. Um, you see, especially seeing that Clint Barton is currently, uh, I don't know, he's kind of somewhere. I think he's in jail. Um, no, he got off. Or did he get? A, I thought he got Mockingbird acquitted. got him out or something. Yeah, uh, whatever. I didn't. No, he, he, didn't stu- really he stood. He stood trial too. and was oh, released. See. see, that's something yeah. you would know if you read Marvel books and not yeah. just uh, occasional t- tweets, right? So I, I I read Hawkeye. I read Champions number one. Finally, I, I know that there's an like issue or two out of this already. Um, the 
this book is is that border between like happy fun teen good times comic book vibes and like cool young avengers doing things that, like trying to do things right like damn the man we're actually going to do what these guys should have been doing in the first place and i really like finding the, out how hard that is yeah i, I really like the attitude that they they approach this book with it felt a lot like young avengers and the team that they built in the first issue was a lot of fun the one thing that kind of like had me cringing a little bit what reading it was they open up all of them open their phones after they do this big thing and there's they see all these tweets and one of them just says finally woke hashtag champions and i was like what what is going on (laughs) um oh no because i'm 28 and i don't understand the world um (laughs) but apparently mark wade does i don't know he is he knows how these things work and he wrote the book so imagine him like sitting down at a long table with a whole bunch of like preteens lining either <laughs> side and just like passing out gogurt and asking them questions <laughs> right uh so i i might i might continue this book i'll probably i might try to like get this in a collected edition since i'm not super duper invested in it and i felt like since i hadn't read vision i lost a little bit of the story quite honestly i felt like i lost a lot of the story because i wasn't reading miss marvel or uh i wasn't reading vision and i haven't read incredible or Awesome, totally awesome Hulk. So I felt like all of those characters coming together in the book, um, I was missing a bit. And Ultimate Spider-Man and Nova. What, like, like all Nova, these characters yeah. are from books that I don't read. Um, but I do like the idea. So I'm willing to give this book a chance, um, but maybe in, the, in a longer form. Even though I feel like this is a series that probably needs my help and needs me buying every month. But uh, I'm a bad person. So I, <laughs> I'm also, I also read Reborn number three. This book continues to be great. Uh, I felt a little lost in the middle of this issue, but I think that may have been because I read it last and I was a little tired, so I might have to reread 1, 2, and 3 just for funsies because I do really like this book. I'm digging the art. Uh, Greg Capullo is doing a fantastic job, of course. And But I also read... Let's see, I have two more left. Let's see, I read Four Kids Walk Into a Bank number three, and I don't want to talk about that because it's also my pick of the week because it comes out this week, and I'll explain that in a minute. But the big thing that I did dig a lot was Green Valley number three. And this is Max Landis and Giuseppe Camancoli. And I haven't read a comic book this fast in a very long time. Like the pages, like every single panel was so compelling and drew me into the story so much that I could not slow down. And by the time I was at the end, I was like, no, 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 there has to be more. You you opened up all, every single door that I wanted open. And now I can't continue because the next issue isn't out yet. This... The, the twist in this issue, finally getting to what this book is going to be about, is quite a fun one. It's a fun twist on a very classic fun trope. I don't want to say much more than that because total spoilers. So if you're not reading this book, you really should. Landis and Kamikoli's, their essays in the back of the last two issues about this being a really big book that you have no idea what's coming. Oh, totally boy. right. They were totally right, and I'm loving it. Max Landis's ego does not... It doesn't... He does... It he does doesn't need this, Mike. It doesn't. <laughs> sure. But you got to credit a good comic when is it, when it's a good comic. And I think that this one is fantastic. The art is brilliant. The writing is very, very well done. Like, the guy knows how to write a good comic book. I got to give him that. So I, that's that's that. But anyways, Here, here's, here's the said, poll quote on the okay. back of Green Valley Volume 1. I'm fucking awesome. Max Landis, 2016. Sure. Sure. Anyways, comic books come out since you know i said i did read four kids walk into a bank and i do want to talk about that for a second 
Uh, comic books come out on December 21st, 2016. Brian, what are you excited for this week? This week, my uh, my big hit is going to be Lock and Key Small World number one. Oh, man. What? This is yes. a one-shot, right? Uh, oh, I man. I did not even know this existed. A, I think it's going to be a miniseries. Oh. But it's, yeah, it's it's Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez going back to the Lock and Key universe oh and my. doing another story there. Um, That's really exciting. I know almost nothing about it except that it seems like it's going to have the same like creepy dread and skittering horror that hmm. the classic lock and key gave us. Yeah. And that's one of my all time favorite books. So I don't really need a whole lot to get, to get excited about this. I just need right. to find out it was happening, which I did about an hour before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, don't say those things. <laughs> I was really hoping when Brian was like, I don't know much about it. Brian was going to be like, I don't know much about it. I uh, haven't read any of the volumes that precede it. I'm just going straight into the one shot. <laughs> Here's hoping it's approachable. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. cool, man. I still need to finish that series. I think I have one volume oh, left. What? And- yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I read volumes one through five or six or whatever really, really quickly. And then whatever the last one is, I just like didn't pick it up. And I don't know why. So I, I should do that and then read this new one. In the in the words of the Foo Fighters, uh, I got another confession to make. Um, oh, my I God. Haven't, I haven't read any of uh, any of Lock and Key, but uh, that should it doesn't stop people from recommending me. You know, yeah. pe- people have been keying me in left and right. It's not like I've Get been out knocked out or anything. Get out of here. Nick, what are you excited for this week, you <laughs> jerk? Besides, besides quoting more uh, early 2000s alter- alternative rock bands. <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, I'm going to get the best of you. Um, more Foo Fighters. Nick, uh, but, I s- I'm going to... Please s- know that you're my hero, Brian. <laughs> We're cutting all this out <laughs> and, of the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to cut so, Nick I'm- entirely out of the show. It's just going to be me and Mike and big silences. Um, I'm really excited for Divinity 3 Stalinverse number 1 or as what Jordan calls this book every time I bring it up fuck that thing's come out already what the hell Um, every time he's like I can't believe it's already here I'm like have you read either of the two leading up to this no that's the problem (laughs) I didn't think it was going to show up this fast anyway um, so Divinity 3 is kind of confusing at this point because the implications of it are a little bit fuzzy so for those unaware the this is the third miniseries of divinity for valiant it's written by matt kent it's drawn by why am i blanking on his name trevor Hairsign, and it's about the idea that the russians during the space race of the 50s and 60s decided that they were going to really one-up america and send three cosmonauts into deep 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 space which with the idea that well maybe someone will return maybe they won't uh the problem is they have been returning and after a interesting encounter with some sort of uh alien entity they're coming back with powers And the first one came back and sort of retained his humanity. It didn't go nuts. And the second one came back and thought the USSR was still very much a thing. And, you know, da, motherland and all that stuff. Um, As for this third one, 
it's really weird because it seems to suggest that our world has been changed in a way that the Russians win World War II, which, I mean, they kind of did, but in a way yeah. that they also win the Cold War and then sort of run the world. Uh, who run the world? Uh, Russians. And that being said... <laughs> um, it's really bizarre because I don't know if this is supposed to be an alternate universe of our own or if this is supposed to be some standalone what-if scenario or if these are actually permanent variations to the universe that we're used to encountering. So I'm really interested in that. Um, but let's not forget that the past Valiant miniseries did include time travel and the ability to alter reality as we know it. So this might not be that outlandish of an idea. Um, Walter Simmons, the editor, did say that this series will have, quote, ma major repercussions for every key hero and villain, villain in the Valiant verse. He didn't use Valiant verse. That word is mine. We've covered that. Um, and so who knows? That's kind of the real mystery for me as to how this is going to play into everything else. But seeing, like, Commandar, Bloodshot, and uh, Arik, Son of Russia, or whatever they're calling him, and all these other things, uh, should be interesting, especially because this is what Valiant is deeming their winter event, and of course it is getting a series of one-shots to go along with all the issues. One's going to be about Bloodshot, one's going to be about um, uh, Exo, the other one's going to introduce a new character, which a female character that they've pitched as Valiant's Wonder Woman slash Thor, um, so should, okay. should be interesting. Um like I said, I just want to know how how this actually affects the mainstream canon as we know it. So, hmm. I mean, the Divinity series; those two are those two books are great. I mean, I haven't read Divinity two, but everyone's told me that if you like one, you'll like two. So I I need to get on that just just for this Stalinverse stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I think maybe Matt Kent took it as a personal challenge when he basically called out Vladimir Putin during Divinity 2, and someone was like, how about you try to endanger your life a little bit more? And Matt Kent was like, all right, let's do a whole event. Let's do a whole event about <laughs> about Russia, which right. of course has now become very uncomfortably topical within the last two weeks. So, Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. For me... This week, I am excited for a book that I've already read called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, number three, from Black Mask, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by art and cover art by Tyler Boss. Now, the way the reason why I can say that I've read this book already is because I ordered an advanced copy that benefited the LGBT task force. And so I paid an extra couple dollars, got a special uh, cover by Courtney Menard, and I got the book sent to my house, and it show, or sent to work, actually, and so I got it a week ago, and I was able to read it, which is pretty, pretty cool to actually, you know, get a comic book for helping a great cause, and man, this book is good. If you're not reading Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, please do, or wait for the trade. This book, like, I don't know what Black Mask is doing with their, or how they structure everything, but all of their books seem to be little mini-series, and they are killer they are absolutely gorgeous the writings are the writing is super duper well done the art is you is always top notch i don't think i've actually read a book from them that i didn't like so far and i mean correct me if i'm wrong i don't know if either of you guys have checked out anything else but everything that they've done so far has been great and i think four kids walk into a bank is by far their best book to date and tyler boss's art is it's very hard to compare him to other creators. I would say it's very similar to like David Aja or David Aha in the sense that he, he's very intricate in his faces, his panel layouts, and the way that they do diagramming in this book is 
almost unparalleled. Like they they do in issue three in specific, they do this really fun thing following all the characters through a scene, but instead of showing multiple panels of all these things happening, you get a giant two-page spread with little lines as to where all the characters are going and how they ran around this little sp- this little place. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, uh, but man, they've done something like this in every single issue where they get really, really clever with their page layouts. And things like that is are, are what make comic books really enjoyable. It's not just it's telling a cool story, but it's also delivering the art in an interesting way that makes you think, wow, that's really clever. With this very simple 2D medium, they managed to do something that is cl- not only clever, but makes me feel smart for having figured it out in the way that they did it. <laughs> uh, and you got to appreciate that. I think you, you look at something like the, in specific, the pizza dog issue of... Uh, Hawkeye and they did a lot of really cool things with diagrams and understanding how a dog interpreted things or even the issue where Hawkeye is deaf in that series and I'm only calling back to to that fraction fraction in AHA's Hawkeye because I think that was one of the books that did it the best but those books pushed the medium forward they won awards because of issues in that series and I think this book is at that level this book could win awards for the layout and diagrams that they do in an issue like this so if you're not reading Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, I implore you, please go find it or get ready to pre-order that trade because it's so good. It's it's by far one of the best, and it's it's a perfect combination of being kind of a nerdy kid and wanting to live a life of action and stuff like that. It's oh, This book is great. I could just go on and on about it. I think so, that book's going to kill it in trade. Um, yeah. I think this book caught people completely unaware, and I, I do believe when the trade rolls around, Everyone who's been hearing about it for months, uh, fingers crossed, you know, they're going to really get in on it. Yeah. And, Brian, i got to recommend it to you because they play D&D in the first two issues. And that's, like, a whole thing. Like, yeah. It's cool. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is, like, one of my secret code words. So, so there's at least that. <laughs> it's the whole reason I wa- started watching Stranger Things. Right, right. Of course, that turned out Gotta to be an excellent show. So. Yeah, and I'm telling you, you're, you're, they open on D&D in this book, and I, I think it's going to be an excellent comic book. So, two for two. For our episode this week, I posed a question to Brian and Nick, which was, what is one book you regret not buying? But the idea is, what's one of those books that you maybe picked up the number one and then decided not to buy and it turned out to be really, really good? Or it was a book that you looked over and you thought, oh, I don't want to buy that. And then it turned out to be really good and you ended up collecting it in trades or borrowing it from a friend or reading online somehow. Do you? I, I think we all kind of have those books. So I wanted to see what books you guys picked. And I have a couple I definitely know that I'm upset I didn't grab from the beginning. So I will, I'll throw it to the both of you. Brian, what do, what do you think? What it comes down to for me is... There are so many books that I wanted to read and that I opted out of just because of the price point. You know, I always had a pretty pretty strict, like, I can only read this book if I drop another book sort of thing. Right, right. So, like, Absolutely, yep. When the current ongoing Black Widow series came out, I picked up the first issue and I was like, eh, this. I, I read this book in, like, three minutes of time because... I don't know if you remember or not, that first issue had almost no dialogue or words right. of any kind. Yeah, It was just pictures, which, you know, was neat. But I make so many of my decisions based on the quality of the writing that 
I didn't get enough out of that book to really make a solid decision. And so, you know, when it came time to, especially at that that Marvel three ninety nine price point, I couldn't really justify going back to it. And then for the next like eight weeks of I read comic books podcasts, I kept hearing like you, Mike, or Tia, or somebody talking yeah. about how great yeah. the latest Black Widow was. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, shit, man. Like, <laughs> that's my catchphrase for this episode. Is just well, shit, man. Yeah. Do you think you'll go back and maybe grab it in trade or borrow it from the library or something? Yeah, it's definitely on my list of books to look for at the library, along with Black Panther, which I had almost the exact same issue with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I know that I the the biggest one that I slap myself in the face over over and over is Fraction and Aha's Hawkeye. I remember when that book first came out. Uh, a buddy of mine, Nick, was uh, not Nick White, but another Nick that I know. Uh, he was You're not allowed to have any other friends. I, with that name, I know I don't associate with fine. him anymore, Nick. I just want you to know. Uh, no, <laughs> he he was still reading comic books. He doesn't read comic books much anymore, if only because he started having a family and a, and a life, I guess. And he got more invested in board games. But beyond the point, he was reading comics and he picked up Hawkeye and he's like, Mike, this is the greatest comic. You got to read this. And I remember going, who wants to read a book about Hawkeye? Come on. <laughs> and apparently I do because I remember after hearing so much like so many good things about this creative team and realizing that, oh, David Aha is the same dude that did Immortal Iron Fist, which I read in trade because that came out before I was released buying single issues. I was like, oh my goodness, I what was I thinking? And I finally managed to go back and get like third printings of number one, two, and three. But I felt like such a dummy for not picking that book up from the get-go because I think it took eight or nine issues for me to actually go, okay, let me borrow these from somebody and read them. And oh my God, this book is so good. What what am I, what was I thinking? I want to, like I said, slap myself in the face over it. And it's, it's so bizarre because now everyone, you know, regards that book as one of the greater Marvel books in probably the last 10 years. And I looked it over like, Oh, who wants to read a Hawkeye comic book? Because I'm an idiot, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That is a pretty fair perspective though. (laughs) I don't think that what these guys did is indicative of all Hawkeye books by any way. I Mm. think that they broke the Hawkeye mold. Totally. It was it was a brand new, like, smart take on that character. Yeah, because it was know. just this, like, Robin Hood dickhead walking around yeah. with his bow and arrow. Like, yeah, we could read Green Arrow, Green arrow for that, right, Nick? Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only saying that, but I'm secretly getting real mad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what about you? What about you, Nick? I guess one of the ones for me, at least more recently, that I'm sort of angry about is uh, Dynamite's James Bond. Um, yeah. When I heard that was coming out, like the covers looked great, the interior art really looked good, but I was like, Warren Ellis just doesn't seem like the right guy to be writing James Bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe I mean he's obviously smart enough and has like a night, nice, uh, really probably a, a very robust understanding of like what like socio political, the the big picture of how the world works, but it just seemed very not like futury enough and not like cryptic enough for him totally and also it's like a pre-existing franchise so i was like warren ellis are you just trying to make an extra buck or what um so i took a pass on it and then the trade rolled around and i don't remember what the price was but it was a dynamite book 
at a reasonable price. So it was probably like $50. And I said, wow, dynamite <laughs> books are never only $50. This is yeah. insane. What's This must be a printing error. We're going to take them to the bank on this one. And uh, so I bought that and thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, I mean, it really doesn't build on anything anyone's familiar with. I think if you've read the books, perhaps, it, it um, uh, Ian Fleming's novels, I do think it has something to do with that. But otherwise, it is... Um, it's still modern, like cell phones and the like, so clearly it's not absolutely beholden to what um, uh, Fleming was doing, uh, but thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was a great kind of, uh, and brutal, you know, it's dynamite, so they can get away with doing some pretty, uh, I think somebody kills someone with a shovel in like the first issue, I don't yeah. remember, it was, yeah. it was very reminiscent of sort of in Casino Royale, where you realize that you've got this Bond who's more of like a rough and tumble sort of brawler, who isn't about like killing people in classy ways and rolling out the one-liners, like this is the guy who's barely going to survive and probably almost end up dead himself, um, and he's at least sort of grasped that essence, and I was like, wow, this book was really great, uh, why didn't I get it in singles? Um, which I think we're getting like psychologically programmed this way now, where it's like if you end up buying a book in trade, like that somehow equates to like shame. Like it's not like, oh, I got the book now, so I can read it and you and I can talk about it. It's I showed up too late, and now as a as a badge of shame, I have it bound together in a book <laughs> instead of between boards and bags. Sure, as a symbol of my you know faithlessness towards Warren Ellis and. Uh, it's something I'll wear on my heart forever. Um, I definitely no, understand that, that feeling. That's I, I, what buying trades is, really. It's, no, uh, it's no. shame. See, I think that that's like a weird. That's a weird stigma because it depends on the circles that you run in, right? Because oh, yeah. I think there's I mean, a lot of people I'm sort out of there. joking, but not completely. Yeah, I think that like for for people that are probably on this show and people that we talk to outside of the show that are reading comics pretty often, we're very. Wait, you much, guys have friends who aren't on this show. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's kind of surprising. I have friends. Yeah. So the 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 thing that we do though is we're really up to date. We're obviously on the on the quote unquote bleeding edge of this type of stuff. In that we are reading comic books every week. We're buying new books every week. We're checking the previews. We're like, when news gets announced, we all know. We to the point where mm-hmm. when we share it among each other, and I'm pointing my finger directly at you, Nick. Um, yeah. We share news articles back and forth. We go, yeah, I already saw that. Like we're, yep. we're at the cusp. We're like. As things are breaking, we are right there. So when you get the trade, that means you waited six months or more, maybe, to get into a comic book. And that kind of sucks because, you know, people have already read it. And then you're trying to discuss a thing that's like six or plus months old. And then you're like, well, I feel behind. So there is like a weird badge of shame. But I think for the the mass majority of people (laughs) who aren't us, reading those trades is like, yeah, I'm like in it now. I'm reading the thing. And that's what's important. Yeah. So I I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Trades are just another way to get your hands on comics that are frequently more affordable and accessible and easily for people to get their hands on depending upon what, what they live near. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to knock that. I think probably the greater um, dilemma that the situation plays into is, okay, so I have trade one, and that's issues like one through six, and I'm looking at the previews, and the previews are soliciting seven. So if I want seven, I can get in on it right now. Uh, do I want to get in on seven and continue reading in singles and just have one in trade? Or do I want to start singles with seven going onwards and then try to go hunt down one through six in singles? Good luck, uh, especially if we're trying to get first printing. So it turns into just a little bit of an OCD dilemma. And it's it's one that I've always had 
because I, I joined in in terms of buying singles um, partway through the new 52. So I have, I have like Batman from maybe 17 through the end of the 52, you know, 17 through 52. Yeah. Uh, and so for a while there, I was like, am I going to go try to get Batman 1 through 16? <laughs> and then I started Googling how much that costs. And I was like, boy, you, you fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> that is not going to happen, especially no. <laughs> if we're talking f- first printing. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've had to make my peace with this in the past. But um, like you said, when you become more, I don't want to say like on the up and up, but someone who has volunteered to be more informed, um, it be yeah, it's a little bit more of an issue where, I mean, now that I am buying signals and I do read previews and everything, when I miss out on something, um, I know that it's usually not because of ignorance. You know what I'm saying? It's not because I didn't hear about it. It's not sure. because I didn't know about it. It's because I made a choice. Yeah. So. Yeah. So now it's all on you when you miss out on these good Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. I, I mean, really, that's it. And I think that's kind of like the focus of this topic. I mean, because I've got at least four or five other books that I'm looking at that I'm thinking, I knew that that book was coming out. I was well aware of it, and I decided to take a pass on it. And that's like, that's the bummer. Like, for this Hawkeye example that I already pointed out, you know, like, that's, I was like, who wants to read a Hawkeye book? And that's kind of a, a thing where you learn, it's like, you don't nece- you shouldn't necessarily doubt a book because of its, like, cover. You should maybe say, if that looks interesting at all, you should at least try it. I mean, at the time, maybe Hawkeye wasn't interesting to me, but now I'm, I'm kind of aware of that, thinking, you know, Hawkeye, maybe I, I would take a chance on a weird book that I'm like, huh, that doesn't sound interesting. What is somebody bringing to the table to make this book interesting? I think that might be the takeaway from it, um, or at least from these these first uh, these first ideas. But I, I mean, like I said, other books that I've got on my list are Descender, Right, so like Descender was a book, and I think that is like getting quite a bit of praise because it's a gorgeous book. But I think my original thoughts on it were like, one, I'm buying too many books because this is when I'm like, you know, I've been in reading comic books for like ten plus years, and now I have to like be very careful about my pull list, which I know we've covered many, many times on the show. But I was buying too many books, and quite honestly, from just issue one, I know I picked up issue one. I wasn't sure if how into the story and art I was and that may be blasphemy because it's Dustin Nguyen but still I, I I was very wrong I have read the first trade and I'm like I want to hit myself in the head but I, I I am also okay with just reading it in trade in the sense that I don't need a new book but I do want to support the book is in one way that sure. I can and that that I think is the other side of it right like instead of picking up the single issues instead move to trade just to say I'm supporting I'm just not buying week to week or month to month and of course that just plays into the other discussion we've had 18 million times of how do you decide what to move to trade really and and we've talked about this before there are certain things you should take into consideration in terms of what books you push over to trade um, so you can go listen to those episodes because yeah, uh, yeah. Why not plug? Why not plug um, other episodes? So I'd have to say another one for me is definitely um, Southern Bastards. So I um, I started this one in singles, and I read all the way through the first three arcs, um, which the first arc was amazing, absolutely, absolutely amazing. This of course is Jason Aaron and Jason Latour uh, for Image. And then the second arc was like, hey, um, we're going to do a whole prequel um, 
um, arc about the villain. Is that okay? And I was like, well, I feel like this is a one-sided conversation in which I'm not going to be able to tell you no. And they're like, all right, great. Here you go. This is why you and write then, letters, Nick. you got to write yeah. letters. Be that guy in the back. Can you of- imagine if I started writing letters to all of the books and you just start finding me in the back of everything? Nick, I would public love... Public enemy number one. I would love if you became like a regular writer for a handful of image books and then at the end it'd be like, oh, Nick White's back with some comments about something minuscule that we didn't think about. Let's hear what he has to say and then jason aaron just responds hey man you need to just calm down and that's that's all he says next month no you calm down (laughs) and it's back and forth like that forever you're like i'm dropping this book he's like why are you still writing us because i don't know (laughs) 10 years later we're all all at their wedding (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'd I'd uh, pay to see that movie yeah. yeah, well, you know, and then after that, like, they're like, arc three, and I'm like, here we go, here we go, we're gonna get to what I want, and they're like, how about we do a bunch of solo issues about specific back, uh, like, sort of secondary characters, does that sound good? I'm like, no, it doesn't sound good, I already sat through arc two, they're like, too bad, um, and then after arc three, I was like, that's it, I'm done, I'm done, and then of course I end up hearing through the grapevine that, like, arc four is actually going to deliver what I want which is the main character's daughter coming into town. And uh, at that point, I was like, am I really going to get back on board? And I was like, nope, got to take a stand. Uh, um, Power to the people or whatever. Sure. So I didn't. And it makes me sad because now I'm sort of like over that. And I'm like, I actually kind of want to read this now, but... I have three trades and singles, and the fourth arc has already, I think, a couple issues in, and it's like, do I own three arcs and singles and then start reading and trade? The the organizational gods would frown upon that, um, so <laughs> uh, I don't know, but 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 that's that's definitely another one for me. Um, if you want to talk about a minor, more recent thing that I've missed out on, um, that I'm f- fucking furious about. Um, I have, of the Rebirth Batman, I have the main cover and the Tim Sale variant cover for every single issue, except number 10, when my local comic book store, which this is my fault because I didn't specify, they had been giving me the Tim Sale variant every month, every month, every month, and of course, I assumed that's what I was going to get, which makes an ass out of me and only me alone, and then didn't get it, Uh, and so now... Um, I am uh, 23 for 24, which is devastating. Oh no! Um, that's like that's like first world problems to the like cubed basically. Yeah. But, uh, um, I mean that's uh that's one for me. I don't know. About Sometimes you guys. it's those little things that just really eat at you, though. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, it, it's uh, you don't even know, man. It's fucking furious because uh i knew that if there was going to be one cover that i was going to have a problem with it was going to be obviously getting my hands on the variants as opposed to the um the mains even though with dc rebirth now the the main and the variant are distributed in equal roughly equal numbers but yeah that's that's how i feel about uh wicked and divine though like i'm more upset because i have issue one and then i have the trade and then I have single issues starting after the first trade. Oh, like, man. I know that phenomenon, and I more think upset. we've all actually done that. We've all done that. Absolutely. Like, I, I'd be less mad at myself if I just didn't have that first issue. 
<laughs> like I got it because it's like you're simultaneously a hardcore fan and yet not. I'm like I didn't time. even buy it when it first came out. I I bought it off Mike when he moved to New York and was like getting rid of a bunch of his stock of comics because he had nine thousand pounds of comic books that yeah yeah he didn't want to move across the country. Yeah, it's I'm sorry like, that I put this burden. I like on you, I Brian. monkey. I it's like a monkey's <laughs> paw. Like. <laughs> I got my wish and it didn't make me happy. And that's like, that's exactly that story. You just turn around and it like changes positions on the shelf, you know, when you aren't paying attention. The eyes change position and look at you. Oh, like I fold down my covers at the end of the day to go to bed and there's fucking issue number one staring up at me. (laughs) It's just at the edge of your bed holding a knife. (laughs) What? I I fold down the covers to go to bed at nine o'clock because I'm an old man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. Yeah, I, I there's only, there's like a handful of other books that I could think of too. I mean, Superior Foes of Spider-Man was one of those books that I had no interest in similar to like not like Hawkeye in the sense that I I heard so much that it was great or whatever and that like I knew that the team was kind of stellar or whatever. But like yeah. Superior Foes like I the team didn't didn't Spencer and Lieber, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the series was, it had a team that I hadn't really heard of, and I was like, what is this weird book about Boomerang and, like, Sandman? Like, what a weird book. And I I was like, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this villain stuff. And, I mean, like, I had read Thunderbolts for a while, and that kind of burned me. So, I was like, whatever. And then, of (laughs) course, I realized that it's not even about them being villains. It's about them all being idiot human beings, and they just happen to be superheroes. And so, there was a big sale at one point on Comixology, and I just grabbed it all. And I am loving every single issue. I had seen so many, like, screen caps and panels of things or of panels i was just like what what is this comic book and people kept pointing to me it's like it's superior foes of spider-man mike you really should read this i think you'd really enjoy it and finally i caved and i started reading it but like i could have gotten in on the ground floor like and that's the thing that bums me out is it's i think it's a really hard book to get a hold of in trade because i don't think it's sold very well after a certain point but you know i can you can get it digitally but it's it's like having that book or getting in right when it was coming out. Now I'm like two or three or four years behind. So if I'm reading it, I'm not going to be like, hey, guys, you want to talk about this book? And it's like, Mike, that was so three years ago. You're an idiot. Yeah. You know? And that's like the the worst part is it's there's that social piece of it where you're like, I can read this and I can have a good time, but can't really talk to anybody about it because everyone already read it. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine. That happens to me with books that nobody else is reading. Like uh, for the longest, oh, I know that for the longest like days, I had nobody to talk to about Giant Days. Like, oh right, I got so excited the first time I heard you mention that, Mike. So like, finally somebody understands. But I picked up, I picked up the first volume uh, at a, on a whim while I was at the comic shop. I was like, yeah, what's this? This cover is bright. I'll buy it because <laughs> I'm a magpie, <laughs> right? But I brought it. I will home. say, I think I think Boom has lowered their trade prices recently, at least on some of their books. Yeah, the first volume I think is ten bucks for I a think giant. So, yeah. Some, some, yeah. Jordan just picked up. I think it's called Joyride. It's like a sci-fi book from Boom. It's by Jackson Lansing, and he paid ten bucks for that. And I was like, wow. Um, image much? I mean, just kidding. I mean, oh my just gosh! You put, not, just because you put nine ninety nine on a back cover doesn't mean you're like innovative i mean that doesn't mean i want everyone to stop i mean i'd like more people to do that honestly but everyone's like image came up with that first image did it (laughs) 
Nick them, White, do you have an anti-image agenda? Sour. No, I don't have an anti-image agenda. Oh I read my a lot goodness. of image books, and I still ha- hate them simultaneously. Nick what's, just, the, what's the problem? He just derailed your entire conversation point, Brian, so that he could complain. I just, I just no, want sorry. to point that out. <laughs> and I just want to apologize for doing it. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm sure what you said was actually probably much more valid than than um, <laughs> me taking on the third largest publisher in comics. So, yeah, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd go that if, far. If you're if if you're still feeling uh, up to it, I, I I would I would love to hear what you were saying. Um, and I realize that I'm so sarcastic all the time, so no one knows when I'm being genuine, <laughs> but I am. Trust me. No, that's that's a common um, problem. I think I think I have that as well. I yeah. say everything in that deadpan. Yeah, but no, I mean, Giant Days was a sleeper hit. I think, like, yeah, a yeah. lot of people are finding out about it after the first arc. Um, and I was lucky enough that my comic shop actually had the entire next arc's worth of issues from the end of the trade all the way to current in singles. So the next time I went in there. Wow. I was able to buy all of those. And for a book like that, I can totally see why there aren't many people getting in on the ground floor of something like that. Because, like, what what is the elevator pitch for most slice of life books? Well, there's a guy, uh huh, and he just does every everyday things, right? Yeah. But it's in like a quirky way. It's like a funny way. Uh, you're not you're not selling me on right. this. I'm not. Does he have superpowers? Does he have a jet? No, he doesn't. No jetpack. No jetpack. Does he kill anyone? N- uh, would you nope. kill someone? I mean, that's the question, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What is your slice of life book like, buddy? Jeez. <laughs> well, it starts with a syringe and a band around my arm. Oh my okay. gosh! Wow. My slice of life is pizza. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of I. I think that's sort of what's in there. There are books out there that I think unfortunately from from what they are it's i think it's hard to get people in on the ground level mike you brought up like superior foes and i think what you have right there is the whole dilemma that when big two books take a tonal approach that is outside of normal superhero books i think a lot of people get super anxious no no pun intended there but well, uh, i think that um, the the problem with that is that usually you don't expect the big two to take that shift Right, I think a yeah. book like yeah. Constantine the Hellblazer had like such a different. Even the current Hellblazer book that's that's out mm-hmm. right now, the 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 direction and the way that things are going, it goes. It's like a almost a complete one eighty from where the rest of the publisher is going. So it's very hard for you to jump in and say, "Is this book just going to be another superhero book?" And it turns out it's not, and it's such a pleasant surprise. But you can't really know until you really dive in. But you have to take that risk. And of course, we're all very worried about taking a risk on a book that we don't like because god forbid you buy a number one that you don't like and that's three or four or even five dollars in the case of marvel where you aren't going to get that back you know and that's that's the bummer of it and i think that and then if yeah but but then of course with the with the with indie books it's just like sometimes you just don't gel with their number ones and then it turns out it's actually very good down the line as the story progresses because the writing and the art gets better as the creators actually get stronger as as creators which is a, a totally different thing when it when it, when you're trying to figure out if a book is good or not while you're reading it and and of course with like an image book there's a chance that they have a much longer plotted um arc or idea and so you just have to wait it out 
Whereas I think that's the real dilemma with like DC is like if you if you buy a number one and you don't like it, depending upon the book, if it's like Wonder Woman or Green Arrow, the book will continue whether you like it or not. And they will put new people on the book whether you like it or not. And so when you don't like a big two book, for me, that's that's a much bigger problem in terms of trying to decide what you want to do with that. Um, especially if it's like a legacy book and... Um, I mean, I've I've sat through entire arcs of teams I don't like just because it's like I have all of the issues. Why? And this is such a terrible trend for comics, but like, why stop now? You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I mean, you probably own whole arcs of X Men runs that you don't. You know, no, I love enjoy. them all, and they're great. I'm, Shut up, Nick. No, <laughs> I was gonna give you a chance to not say that. And yeah, like, yeah. You know, but I mean, if you want to just come forward and say that everything gets a free pass i mean go right ahead be, be my guest uh no 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 uh, there there are definitely some things but i think we're we're far off the original topic but at the same time i think that there's I, a uh, speak for yourself i th- I think we're doing great there's Ryan? a there's a trend you know in in big two books is to say you know to try to keep that that indie feel where you k- take a creative team and you put them on the book for as long as they'll do it yeah and yeah because people want that consistency and whereas, you know, I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, it's like every every issue or maybe every six issues, you could you could get an entirely different creative team telling a totally different story or trying to tell a similar story. But then it goes, you know, far off to the right or left, um, depending on, you know, where the creators want to take that. And that's that's like an interesting shift to see in comics in general. But does that have to do anything with anything of like a book that you regret buying? I don't know. Does the first creative team on a book change drastically and then suddenly you realize, oh, I don't like this book anymore to that point? I don't I know. I mean, you could certainly have the other way around too. It's, it's entirely possible that there are books out there that, you know, I didn't like the first issue of, but that if I had stuck around and read starting with the second arc, uh, you know, maybe the artist changed and I would love the new art mm-hmm. when the art was the reason mm-hmm. I stopped buying it in the first place. Right. Um, exactly. Right. And that's the thing with like an image book is like if 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 you start an image series and you don't like the arc, uh, the art, and that's genuine genuinely your issue is the artwork, you can pretty much duck out at that point and you know, rest assured feel okay about it because by and large for the most part that artist because it's it's an image book is not going to change. Right. You know, whereas with like a DC book if you if you don't like the art, uh, in four or five months, that could change. Yeah. So, and sometimes that you know they and they do that at other publishers too. I know that Boom, for instance, Giant Days, I know has changed the artist once or twice at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with then you have yeah you have other Valiant you, yeah Valiant changes their artists Rotates every arc or so every arc. yeah mm-hmm. so it's it's hit or miss depending on the 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 publishing company. I mean, Archie does the same kind of thing where I think they've had three artists on like Archie and Jughead just had a new artist changeover and even a whole creative team changeover. So, you know, don't think it's ever going to be like that, like image in at other publishers. Archie, there's another one I dropped off of that I'm kicking myself over. Yeah, <laughs> Archie's great, you guys. If you're yeah, not reading Archie, yeah. I, I, I say that all the time. I don't know. Some people just don't like Archie and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I just am, I never knew that I would until I tried it, and I, I actually am enjoying it. I, I, I almost I, regret sticking with Archie for as long as I did. Oh, really? I, really? I was on board for like eight or nine issues, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point, it was like the arc after uh, What's-Her-Name showed up. 
Veronica? Yeah. Veronica? Sorry, I can never remember which one's Betty and which one's Veronica. That's all right. Um, after she showed up, I just... Like, she was such an unrelenting bitch at first. And I know that's, like, her character. And I know that, like, there are, like, redemptive arcs. Like, I'm sure that we see the softer side of her and stuff like that. But In the current arc, we are seeing the softer side of Veronica. Yeah, but... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, just... so add that to your list of books you should regret <laughs> dropping. <laughs> Fucking moron. Oh, Jesus. I have too many regrets already. Don't worry. But yeah. I'm just going to fade out this podcast to Brian crying. That's how every day ends for me. So. <laughs> but you just you just couldn't keep on that you just keep couldn't keep on the book then, Brian? Yeah, like I didn't care about her. I didn't care about Reggie. I didn't care about her stupid dad. It got to a point where like that's what the book was about now. So. Yeah. That's when yeah, I lost I, can, me. I get that. I kind of felt the art changes were a little too quick and a little too fast on that book. And it's not to say that like the second or the third or the fourth artist were bad, but um, I think we've all seen this when a book gets advertised with like a really fantastic artist at first. And then that person like jumps ship pretty quick. And there's like that sort of sense of betrayal, you know, where it's like, (laughs) yeah, you said you were on this book. I thought you were the chosen one. And then they fall into the lava and become Darth Vader. And, uh, so I guess for me, that's Becky Cloonan. I guess Becky Cloonan in that situation is, is, uh, is Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Um, and then what she was followed by, uh, Annie Wu, right? I was fine with Annie Wu. Wait, wait, no. Well, the the beginning was, was Fiona Staples. Oh geez, that's right. Why do I confuse Staples and Clunan? I don't all the know. Time? Their art but yeah, it was even Fiona Staples, done. and then they did yeah. Annie Wu for an issue, and then Veronica Fish and then showed Fish. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's nothing against Fish. I read one, maybe two or three issues of hers before I dropped off, but I just sort of felt like the, um, I don't know. And like, this isn't a knock against new artists either, but like I feel like they had really high profile. They like they front loaded the book with high profile talent. Totally, and they just kind of drifted and. Um, it happens, and I guess that's how you discover new talent sometimes, but also um, I'm just a little disappointed that they couldn't um, retain either of those first two artists for for any longer than they did. I, I think I think Annie Wu was maybe even one issue, possibly Yeah, she two. was just the one issue, yeah. Yeah, geez, and I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, uh, books should stop doing that. I realize that a lot of these people are like free, you know, contract employees. Yeah, it's work for hire, man. Time for this and that, and it's complicated, and it's tough to schedule, and it's hard. But um, sometimes, uh, I guess, I get a little selfish, and I wouldn't mind um, people sticking around. Well, let me uh, let me get leaves. a let me uh, counter that with a sure. uh, Frank Avia should never be on any book ever. Because he only ever shows up for an arc, then he disappears. Or if he's on a book regularly, like Afterlife with Archie, which is a fantastic book, it takes a bajillion years for that book to come out. So there is a trade-off. Like, if you want a book to come out regularly, this is the DC problem that you've pointed out a billion times, Nick. It's either we get a consistent, deliverable book every month, or we take the sacrifice of the book not coming out very often in light of having a consistent artist. So I think that's that's where we get that trade-off. This is where we get changing out artists. This is where we get work for hire being you know rushed in and out and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. So that a book comes yeah. out, you get your comic book every month. And it kind of goes back to the thing we say over and over. We want books to come out regularly. We don't want delays. But at the same time, what's the cost of that? And it's that's the balance of comic books. So 
drop the mic. I'm out. That's that's all I gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Brian Murray and Nick White. The music in this episode is brought to you by Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Rate us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. Or if you're just looking to say hi, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. And if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature on the show, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure you join our group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode of our show at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back-issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is to visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you for listening. I was supposed to, I think I told you, Mike, I was supposed to dog sit today, but then they went and texted me this morning, and I guess the dog was being super weird and whatnot, and they had to take it to Grand Rapids to the emergency vet hospital, so... Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. But he just got home, so at least that seems to be slightly under control. Um, nothing quite cuts out, you know, repeat business like... Uh, uh, like animals dying so uh, uh that's <laughs> yeah, good jeez i'm i'm just kidding obviously i'm more concerned about the dog than uh um money but uh yeah but it's possible for a human to be concerned about two things at once like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they aren't necessarily you know uh they can go hand in hand so uh thank goodness do do little appears to be all right so <laughs> I don't again. I don't know if they. I don't know if he's named after the general or the Doctor Doolittle books, but uh, or just the fact that he doesn't seem that motivated, which honestly <laughs> could be it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no. There's no wrong answer to that question. <laughs> like any of those anyway. answers is funny. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doolittle. Yeah. So my cat's name is Alexander Hamilton Riggs. So <laughs> what? Yeah. Why does your cat have Xander's last name? His, his name was know. his name was Alex when we got him from the vet. Yeah. And, Zan, and Xander yeah. made some joke about him being his son. And so we just call him that. <laughs> oh man, that's, so that's, that's his, his his full name is Alexander Hamilton Riggs Lamphere Murray. But that's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> So. Is, it, is is it hyphenated or what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the last two are. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay, okay, I gotcha. He has two middle names. Just because Kate's keeping her last name when we get married. So. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Uh, I don't know what my sister's even doing about that. I think she's been switching back and forth, although I think she was told it's just easier to 
to switch so who knows i've heard in terms of id and everything it can get kind of funky but uh right um I, I, all I would tell you, Brian, and this is coming from someone who has no experience or understanding of uh, the delicate social uh, maneuvering that you're in, um, would be that if someone's already made the decision, then I guess it doesn't really matter. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So she keeps asking me if I care, and I keep saying no. Uh, I I care that you choose what you're most comfortable with. Yeah. Right. That would be so- the... Yep. I don't know, man. I'm not changing my name. No, actually, what I do is I silently (laughs) leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) Tiptoe out right in front of her. I could see you, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a guy my size tiptoe, but it is quite a sight. (laughs) Uh, I think we'll have to arrange that for the next get-together. Watch watch Brian Murray tiptoe. One of the many things that will take place. at. uh, It'll all be for episode 100. IRCB con, yeah. Everything's everything's episode one hundred at this point. Oh god! At this IRCB point, yeah, con, it's like can you imagine. Oh god! The, the, the six of us hanging out in a giant convention center, <laughs> like all with our own tables and shit. Like, yeah, yeah. It'd be like it'd be like it's like the the weird part of a comic con where like there's all the wrestlers and you're kind of <laughs> like, uh, did, and it's you just were all hanging out there. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the Undertaker's coming. Yeah, he canceled last minute. <laughs> it's just Paul like suplexing Triple H or something. <laughs> Hi guys, Paul, are you hurting him? Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. You guys better leave. This thing's gonna crack real soon. <laughs> Can you notify the uh, emergency personnel? Uh, sure, Paul. That's fine. Stay one. That's just day one. <laughs> That's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> Paul, are you hurt, that guy? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Define hurt. <laughs> yeah. I'm teaching him a lesson. Okay, bye. Oh, I mean, it would also have to be Paul showing off all of his vinyl. Not selling it, just there to show it <laughs> off. Yeah, like, cool, how much for this one? Oh, God, no, get away. Oh, no, it's not for sale. I will play it if you want, but I, you're not. <laughs> not on your equipment, though. Yeah, right. On my equipment. <laughs> Jesus. IRCBCon, that's uh, that's your five your five goals. Um, episode 500, we will have a, a convention circuit. Paul will clo- clothesline someone live. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a panel, and there will be, like, a, a demo area. With like a, <laughs> we'll all just have like our own stupid thing we're doing. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, Brian and I couldn't be on a panel together because we had you know we had conflicts. He had a, he had a panel all about slice of life comics, and I was talking just me ranting into a microphone about X Men for sixty minutes, no Q and A. Halfway through, Paul runs in and just slams someone right in the middle of your table, and it like bows in half. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's, re- that's the Ramones start every- playing. Like every yeah, every yeah, that's his. It's his intro music. Hey, who who put the fog machine in here? We didn't set up the fog machine. <laughs> Just hey, ho, let's go. <laughs> I knew if one of us had to be the loose cannon, it was gonna be fucking Paul. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of me like talking about Squirrel Girl, then Paul choke slams me like through a wall, <laughs> like breaks the fly, the uh, fucking plywood. <laughs> oh yeah. It'd be fun. It would be that'd be it'd be quite the convention. Uh, you know, it'd be the the Tia the Tia would just be just standing for sixty minutes in a very fashionable "Ask Me About My Feminist Agenda" T-shirt. Um, Kate would be there to tell us all about how 
everything is everything is awesome and you should read more prose books and you'd be like this is a comic convention you'd be like no 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 shut up kate prose books (laughs) (laughs) everything is horrible and you can't convince me otherwise (laughs) you just turn to the security i told you don't allow any books in here (laughs) honest to god we'll have a book burning room uh, you know all that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's this is getting serious. Uh, oh this. boy, <laughs> this is getting fascist bit by bit. Uh, Ever, man, twenty sixteen. Am I right? Brian's like, then we're all gonna face the flag and salute. What salute, Brian? Uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> Everyone will be given patches for their favorite publisher <laughs> that you no! must wear, or you will be no! exterminated. Um, Whoa. Okay. Um, sorry, Oof. Xander. That part. <laughs> That was where it went over the edge. This and is why we can't do a convention. I'm just over this is, another edge, yeah, trying to convince you guys. <laughs> Look how, how quickly you did. our comic convention turned into an alt right conference. That was yeah. like literally zero to sixty, and like yeah. zero to, zero to Nazi. Yeah, zero, <laughs> <laughs> zero to Nazi. <laughs> the new Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> zero to Nazi. Nazi in sixty seconds. <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. But in a but in a matter of months, he was goose stepping with the best of them. Zero to Nazi. I'm gonna steal Hitler's mustache. 